Okay, so today we're not going to be talking about Parshas Bamidbar, but we're going to speak about Shavuos, because that's um, going to be next, uh, next Friday. We're not going to obviously be giving a Shmuz because it's going to be Shavuos, and this is the last opportunity that we have to speak about the Yantiv HaBa'alein uh, Lataiva this, in this venue. So what I want to talk about is a, uh, a Pasuk in Megillus Rus, which is, of course, the Megillah that's laying on Shavuos. There's many reasons given why we lay Megillus Rus on Shavuos, uh, either because David HaMelech is born at the end of the Megillah and, and he was born on Shavuos. That's one reason. Another reason is because it was... Uh, a Megillah speaking about Geirus and Klal Yisrael became Geirim on, um, on, by Matan Taira. There are many, many other reasons given. Okay. But one very interesting uh, concept that we could take out from Megillus Rus is at the very beginning of the Megillah, the Sukkim say that there was somebody by the name of Elimelech, and he had two sons, Machlein and Kilian. And these three, plus Elimelech's wife, Naomi, they went from Eretz Yisrael, and they went to Steymayev. And that's where they were. Eventually, of course, what happened was that Machlein and Kilian took two non-Jewish women as their wives, Rus and Arpa. Eventually, um, Machlin and Kilian died. Rus and Arpa escort their mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Eretz Yisrael after the famine in Eretz Yisrael ends, which is the reason why they left Eretz Yisrael in the first place. And Rus continues on her way with uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, and eventually she's Megayeris, and she becomes the Ima Shel Malchus. She ends up marrying and, uh, and having uh, children, and her descendants become none other than David HaMelech, Shleim HaMelech, tremendous lineage that comes from all from Rus. Arpa, of course, decides not to, uh, to go along with her mother-in-law, although originally she was going to, but it was easy sort of to talk her out of it, and she decided to go back home. And because of that, she, she ended up with a horrible fate uh, that Chazal speak about on, on that very night that she decided to take a pass from going together with Naomi to Eretz Yisrael. She was already, uh, um, she did some very immoral activity, and it just got worse from there. That's basically Rus, the Megillus Rus in a nutshell. But the Gemara asks in Baba Basra and the Tzadi Aleph and Aleph that since Elimelech, Machan, and Chilion were not Stam people, these were not three just regular people that left Eretz Yisrael and came to Steymayev. The Gemara describes them as Gedele Hadar. They were Gedele Hadar. They were the greatest of their generation. Not clear exactly in what realm they were the greatest of their generation, if it means that they were literally like, you know, like the terror giants of their generation, or maybe it means that they were very wealthy, which we know they were. Maybe they were the big Gevirim of their generation, or maybe both. 
But in any event, the Gemara doesn't call everybody a Gadol Adar. If a Gemara says about somebody that they are the Gadol Adar, that is obviously a great statement of, of, uh, of lauding the person and saying how great they are. And so the Gemara has a problem, like if they were so great, then why did Machlan and Kilian die? That was the question the Gemara asks. And the Gemara answers, well, they died because they left Eretz Yisrael. They left Eretz Yisrael to go to Steymayev. That's the reason why Machlein and Kilian died, despite being uh, the G'dayle Adar. One Shavuos, Reb Shmuel Brodny, who was Rashiva in the Mir, and he, uh, he's the father of Yibadol Chaim, Reb Elia Brodny, who is today one of the G'dayle Adar, He's on the Mayatzis Gdele Ha'atar. His father was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. His name was Rav Shmuel Brudni. And he had uh, many Talmidim. And one Shavuos, the Talmidim were um, with him, and they were schmoozing about Megillus Rus. And they asked their Rebbe the following question. This, by the way, is brought uh, by Rabbi Bender. Rabbi Bender, who's a Rashiva and Darche, he was one of the Talmidim of Rav Shmuel Brudni, and he was there when this whole discussion was taking place, so we know it from him. And the question was raised, what's the Gemara's problem? The Gemara is like wondering, why did they die? Why did uh, Elimelech, Machlin, Kilian die? What was the Avera that they were punished for? And they, the Gemara has to say, it must be because they left Eretz Yisrael. Really? Based on what I just told you, there's no other reason to take out Machlin and Kilian, that's the only reason because they left Eretz Yisrael. Leaving Eretz Yisrael is an Avera, but it's not the biggest Avera that they did. They went and they married, they married non-Jewish women. That's a pretty grave crime, especially for Gadol Adar to marry a, a, a woman who is not, uh, who's not Jewish. You know, it's a big shaila exactly when their geiris took place, a very big machlekas, exactly what the chronology of events was. When, did they, when were they Megayar? Maybe they were Megayar possibly beforehand, then it wouldn't be such a big problem, but it seems from the psukim, kipshutam, that, that they were Megayar much later, only once, uh, only once Rus came into Eretz Yisrael. Then we have a lot of, or at the, that crossroads, a lot of the laws of geiris are learned from there. They have to try to dissuade a potential ger from becoming Jewish, and we try to push them off, like like Nami was pushing Rus off. So it seems like the geiris took place later. So according to that, they married non-Jewish women. That's the reason why they died. Why is that such a pella? The Gemara has to like wonder, like what is it that they did wrong that uh, they deserve death? Eretz Yisrael, going out of Eretz Yisrael, that's an avera, but that's not. That shouldn't be the the main problem. The main problem should be obvious that they they married outside of the fold. So to answer this question, Rav Shmuel Brudni gave his Talmidim the following mashal to explain it so beautifully. And he says like this. He says that once upon a time, one of the Russian immigrants who came into America at the turn of the century when there was a flood of immigration uh, from overseas into America and we know that many of the uh, Jews that came into America as they were passing on their ship, Ellis Island, that they're passing the Statue of Liberty, many proverbially, I doubt this really happened, but they always say that they threw their tefillin overboard. As if to say, like, now there's no more need for a tefillin, we're going into the golden of Medina, the, the golden country, 
this uh, land that you have to make a lot of money and you have to be able to forfeit your Yiddishkeit. And a lot of people, unfortunately, did that. Some did it immediately. Some people, it took a little while. But many, many people, as we know, unfortunately, went off the fold, went, went, went off the derech. And that's why there are, as a consequence, millions of Jews in America that are not from, they're not Jewish, they don't know Shabbos, they don't know Yantiv, they don't know Aleph Beis, because their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, they all, uh, many of them, went off uh, the derech. One of them, let's call him Chaimkel, he decided that he was going to stay from, even in America. And him and his wife were very determined that they were going to keep Shabbos, even though it was great Messiah Snefesh, as we know, you know, very often people would get hired on Monday morning and then on Friday they would tell their boss that they needed to leave early because we're Shabbos observant. And then the boss says, okay, no problem, here's a pink slip, you're fired, go look for another job because we don't want any of these Sabbath observers. We want people that are going to work a good work week without taking off. So Chaim Kol, every single week, he had, a, he had a boss that was understanding and every single week at 2 o'clock he would leave the office, he would leave the workplace, and he would go home for Shabbos, and the boss was okay with it. And then a couple of months later, the boss says to Chaim, Chaim called, do me a taiva today. We have a, a little bit of an extra work shift. We're a little short on, uh, on workers. People, you know, are, are not here. They're calling in sick. We need you to take over. Could you work an extra half an hour today? So instead of you leaving at 2 o'clock, you'll go home at 2.30. You should still be able to make it home in time for your Sabbath, but it would really mean a lot to me. So Chaim Kol thinks for about a second, and he says, how could I not say the boss is so good to me, and it's only half an hour, I'll still be able to make it in time. So fine. he says, it's okay, fine, I'll stay till 2.30. He comes home, and his wife is already all nervous, frantic, where were you? You're late. You know, I thought you weren't coming home for Shabbos. You know how important it is to keep Shabbos. He says, you're right, but my boss asked me, when does he ever ask me anything? He asked me to just stay an extra half an hour. So I, I gave that to him and uh, made him plenty of time to go. Don't worry about it. Everything is good. A couple of weeks later, the boss comes in and says, Chaim, go do me a taiva. Again, we, you know, we're little. We need an extra hand. It's Friday. Busy day today. Before the holidays, we need extra work. Um, please stay until 3 o'clock. Chaim Kul says, uh, sorry, you know, it's really hard. It's my shot. He says, I know, I don't, but I don't really ask you too much, but this is what I expect. If you want to stay working for me, you have to be a team player. There is no I in the word team. You've got to do what, we, uh, what we're asking you. He says, fine, I'll stay till 3 o'clock. And he stayed till 3 o'clock. Comes home, his wife starts screaming at him, how could you do this, Chaim Kul? You came home like almost right before Shabbos, it's not acceptable, this is not what we came here for, and he says, I know it, the boss asked me. Anyway, eventually, the boss comes to him and says, oh, you stayed till three last week, do me a favor, stay till four this week. And then Chaim Kol eventually, he couldn't resist, and he, uh, and he gave in till four, he came home late for Shabbos, Machal Shabbos, eventually his beard came off, him and his wife eventually went off the derech, they, uh, they gave up their Yiddishkeit, their kids grew up not from, and, uh, and the rest is history. So Shmuel Brodny says like this, when Chaim Kol comes up to Shemaim after 120 years, and there's going to be a taina on him, what's the taina going to be? 
is the taina going to be that you're Mechal Shabbos, that you're Mechal Shabbos of Farhesia? Like what, you know, how could you be Mechal Shabbos? says, well, obviously he's going to be on the hook for that. But the main taina on Chaim Kol is not going to be that he was Mechal Shabbos. The main taina will be that that very first week, when you are faced with this decision about leaving work instead of at 2 o'clock to leave at 2.30, that's when you should have been strong, you should have resisted with all of your power and said, no, I cannot go home after any time after 2 o'clock, I must leave now for, for home because otherwise I'm going to be coming home too late in time and, and really put up a fight then. You might be fired, you might not be fired, but that's when you have to be strong and draw a line in the sand and make no mistake about it. Let your boss understand clearly that this is what you stand for. At that initial point of Bechira, of Nisayan, of decision, that's when there's a Tain on Chaim. The battle was lost that first week. The second week was a consequence of the first week, and the third week was a consequence of the second week. And then it just snowballed into something that was out of Chaim Kol's control. But when you say no early on, and when you see something that might be in a trajectory that's unacceptable, and that's when you stop it, and you make the right decision then, that's when you get your schar, and that's when the einish also all stems from. It stems from that first immediate early decision, when you could have gone either way, and you said, no, this is the way I'm going, making it very clear what your path in life is, that's what Chaim Kol messed up on. The rest of it is, it's not forgivable, it's ob- but it, the consequences that arose were directly stemming from that initial decision. Because every decision in life is very, very important at its onset. So Shmuel Brudney says beautifully, he says, of course, Machlin and Killian were punished because of marrying outside of the fold, marrying non-Jewish women, that's a huge pagam for them and for Klal Yisrael, and they were G'dayle Adar, they should have known better. But the Gemara wants to know, where did it stem from? When did that start? It didn't just happen in a vacuum. Uh, uh, from Ben Taira, you know, who is a G'dayle Adar, who knows Shas and Paiskim, who's, uh, who's considered to be at, on the forefront of, of the leadership of Klal Yisrael doesn't just go and marry outside the fold. That doesn't happen in a normal, a normal world. It must have stemmed from somewhere. Where did it come from that they were able to find the ability to do that? That's the question. Ah, to that question, the Gemara says, I'll tell you at what point of inception that was possible that they should go and marry outside the fold. It didn't happen to them. Then there wasn't like one fine day they were going from, you know, from, from giving a, you know, huge shear and being a, being a tremendous mashpia and being, and then suddenly, boom, they start marrying non-Jewish women. What happened was they left Eretz Yisrael. It was a famine. They had plenty of money. They could have stayed in Eretz Yisrael. They decided to leave. The Chazal tells us that they couldn't, they had Saras Ayin. They didn't have the ability. They, everyone kept ringing their doorbells for handouts, for food. They couldn't take it anymore. They kept on, you know, on, on, they, they, they felt guilt-ridden, and they, they just booked. They left Eretz Yisrael to run away, to escape their responsibilities. By leaving Eretz Yisrael, which was the Makara Kedusha, they were severing their ties to holiness and going out into the world of, of Chutzlaretz, the world of Toma. That was where we could trace the first steps 
of, of the ultimate downfall of Machlan and Kilian and Elimelech. It happened then. The Gemara doesn't want to know what they did. Obviously, marrying non-Jewish, that was, uh, that was the, the, the climax of their crime. But what was, the, what was the root cause of their crime? When did it start? What was the, what was the two, 2 o'clock to 2.30 moment in their life? That was the moment that they decided to leave Eretz Yisrael. It was that decision that would ultimately snowball into much greater consequences. But the point is that we have to be very careful with every decision that we make in our life because at the time we think it's like a small thing. We, okay, we'll, we'll make a decision in a bad, and, and it might not be the right decision, but we'll recover. If it's the wrong decision, we'll recover. It's not always so simple to do that. A lot of times we make a decision and then from that decision we build on top of that a worse decision and a worse decision and a worse decision. Before you know it, you're, you're completely drowning in Avera, in negativity, in all things that are wrong, and it all started because of a little, little decision that we made. When we make a bad decision, then we're on the hook for that bad decision, and, not, and all the consequences that will follow come from there. When we make a good decision, then even if we, you know, that, and we, we build on that good decision, then we get schar not only for the good that we're doing, but also for all the bad that we avoided doing as well. If we would have been Mechal Shabbos because it, had we said, okay, we'll give in to the 2.30, but we decided to, say, to stay strong and say, no, we're not leaving after 2 o'clock, we're not going to leave, you know, we're, we're going to leave only at 2 o'clock and not after that, then all the Chal Shabbos that may have come for me and my children, my future generations, I get schar for that not happening because I made the right decision at the right time. In Megillus Rus, we also find a decision that was made in a positive way. To contrast what we just said about Elimelech, Malchan, and Kilian making a bad decision, and that was to leave Eretz Yisrael, and look what happened as a result of that. Let's contrast that with another decision that was made in Megillus Rus that will lead to unbelievable uh, yields uh, in terms of ruchnius, in terms of tremendous schar, just from one single decision a major decision, but a, a decision that was made very early that will lead to wonderful consequences. And that was, of course, that decision that was made on that dirt road leading from Steymayev going back to Eretz Yisrael. Naomi says, okay, the famine is over, I'm going home, going back to my holy land. And Rus and Arpa escort her, and like we said before, Arpa decides to give her a you know, hug and uh, and then and then leave, a kiss and and then leave and then and Naomi cling and Rus clings to Naomi and says, "I'm going with you, El Asher Telchi Eilech. Wherever you go, I go. Amech Ami, Velakayach Alakai. Your nation, I want to make my nation. Your God will be my God. And whatever you do, I'm following you. I don't care. You can't turn me away. You can't say go home and go back to your palace where you came from because they were princesses." I don't want to buy into that. I'm coming with you. I would rather have a life of poverty in Eretz Yisrael and to be a giyores in the Jewish people than to live a life of affluence and royalty in Stemayev, to her, to her great credit. Rus was trying, Nami was trying to turn Rus away and say, no, go home. As we said before, that's the Allah Jews are not like certain Gayim that try to 
missionize and proselytize people to become part of their religion. There are certain religions that their entire mission is to send out shluchim all over the world and to make as many people as they can be members of their particular religion. Klai Yisrael does the exact opposite. We try to turn people away. People try to come. We say, no, what do you need it for? Don't you know that Klai Yisrael you know, has suffered and we're, we're very low in this, in this world and we don't have anything good going for us and we're, we're always uh, terrorized and we're always, Gayim uh, uh, treat us horribly. And you don't want, what do you want? And we try to literally push them away. And sometimes the, gay, the, the potential gayer says, okay, you're right. We're, we're, thanks for the advice. We're gone. But many times, gayrim, and they have to really, in order to be proper gayrim, they have to say, even though what you're saying is true, I'm fully prepared to accept all of the downside of being a Jew, but I want to be a Jew. And this is exactly what Rus did. She says, I know that it's going to be hard for me. I know that I could have a much easier life staying a non-Jew, but I want to be Jewish. And I'm going with you, and come what may, please don't, uh, tell me to go back home. I'm coming with you with your permission. The Pazik says, as soon as Rus, as soon as Naomi saw that Rus was Ametzes to go with her, she stopped trying to talk her out of it and she accepted her Geras and she said, okay, come, let's go. Let's go to Eretz Yisrael together. Now, what does it mean, Ametzes? What is that word, Ametzesi? So, I think the regular way of translating the word misametzis is she saw that she was stubborn. She saw that she was, uh, that she had such resolve to come that she said, okay, fine, if you're so convinced that this is what you want to do, then you come with me. The Vilna Gain says a different pshat, though. The Vilna Gain has a pirish on Megillus Rus, and he says the following, amazing pshat. He says misametzis does not mean stubborn. Misametzis means that she was struggling with this decision. It was not a simple decision that she was making. It wasn't like, obviously, I'm coming with you. It was an emutz. The emutz means like a struggle, like a wrestling match, like, a, like there's something in me that's a tug of war, back and forth, back and forth. Should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And it wasn't easy for her. And she wasn't sure 100%, but he, she saw, Naomi saw in Rus an inner struggle and as soon as she saw an inner struggle, she said, okay, come with me. You're coming with me. You're going to be Jewish. I like what I see. Why? So the guy says as follows. This is very important you side for life, by the way. It's a very, very important you side for life. Many times in our life, we think that the things that come easy to us in Yiddishkeit are the reasons why we were put here. And the things that are difficult for us in our life, the challenges that we have with Yiddishkeit, are reasons that, you know, I'll just sort of avoid those. So, for example, if let's say I love, uh, I, I love doing chesed, I love Klal Yisrael's chesed, I love, you know, so I join Hatzalah, I join Chaverim, and it's Geschmack, and it's, it's what I want, it's my dream, I love everything about it. So that's my purpose in life, I think. But I don't love learning so much. Learning for me is like a big struggle. I can't, I don't really enjoy it at all. So what I'm going to do is I'll just be in Hatzalah and I won't learn Tyra because obviously Hashem doesn't want me to learn. If He wanted me to learn, He'd give me a geschmack in learning. Or another example, I can, I can you know, I don't have a problem with, uh, 
with shaving with a razor, Baruch Hashem. I don't have a problem with Basa B'chalov. I don't have a problem. I don't have a taiva for certain things. But I have a taiva for Lashon Hara. So all the other things that I'm going to keep, a Lashon Hara, I have such a taiva for it. It's so hard for me. And I'm struggling with it. So therefore, I'm going to, I'm going to speak Lashon Hara because it's too... Obviously, that's something that it's not in the realm of, 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 of what, I'm, what I do well. I don't do it well, so I'll, Hashem will be meichel me, but I'm going to speak Lashon Hara. Says the Vilna Gain, it's the exact opposite. How do you know what your mission statement in life is? We all wonder, like, what was I put here for? What's my mission statement? What was my reason for being born? Says the Vilna Gain, you know how you figure that out? It's not the things that you do well. Obviously, you could be in Hatzal, you could be in you could do, you know, Shabbat and all the love, and that come easy, of course. obviously. Those are good things. But don't say, and I'm going to throw in the towel on Liman Atayra. I'm going to throw in the towel on, on, um, on Lashon Hara. Because I can't, I'm struggling with it too much. No, no, no. Whatever you find you're struggling with, that's like on a treasure map. You know, there's X marks the spot, like you want to know where to dig. You dig by where there's an X on the map. That's where you're going to find the treasure. The Vilna Gain says, if you want to know what your real purpose in life is, Dafka, examine and explore those things that are difficult, that are challenging for you. If Lashon Hara is your challenge, then that's what you were put here for. If it was easy, that's not why you were here. You have to do it, and you should do it, but the reason why you are here is to work on the things that come with great difficulty. If Lima Natara is challenging, don't say, okay, I'm shutting my Gemara, I'm putting it on the shelf, and I'm, I'm, I'm retiring from learning, because I don't enjoy it, I'm not good at it, Fakert. If, you are, if you're struggling with it, that's a sign that this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu put you here to work on those things that you're struggling with. Life is not, was not given to us to be a layup, to be easy, to be well-greased, you know, just like things should go smoothly. Life was here to work hard, to struggle, to overcome, and to triumph on those things that are difficult in life. Life was not supposed to be just easy street. And so if you want to know why you're here, it's those things that you find the most challenging. You have issues with Shemir saying, I am, don't say, okay, I can't do, I can't, I can't do it, so it's challenging, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to you know, surrender to Shemir Sainayim issues. No, if you have a Shemir Sainayim issue, that means to work on it and try to overcome it and try to do everything in your possibility to, to stop it because that's why you are here, believe it or not. If you're struggling with it, then that's a sign from heaven that this is what you have to deal with, this is what you have to grapple with, this is what you have to overcome. A lot of times we could figure out like what we came back here as a Gilgal for, and all of us, I think the, the Mekobalim write, are Gilgulim, we're, we're none of us, very few people, if any, are brand new Nishamas that were sent down here. We're all reincarnated neshamas that came down to fulfill a mission that we had failed in previous lives. How do we know which mission? Very easy. See what's hard for you. If it's hard for you, let's say, to part with your money, it's very hard to give tzedakah. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to not have tzarasayin. Then that neshama that you were given struggled with that. And now you have that same struggle and it's hard for you. You have to overcome it. You have to give liberally and to break that midah that you were put here for. Maybe the person before you was mevatel tairos, and now you have to come back because, and learn to be mechaper for the neshama so you can go up to shamayim after mevatel. If you don't, then you're just going to have to come back again and again, like the Chavitz Chaim writes. 
in the Mishnah Bura on Hilchas uh, Hilchas uh, Yamaki Purim by Neila by the reason why we lane Yaina Ayin Sham on Yom Kippur because Yaina tried to run away from his mission and you can never run away you always you're always going to be called back again and again until you get it right so it's precisely those things that we struggle with that we have to work on <laughs> says the guy when Naomi saw that Rus was struggling with this decision, should I go to Eretz Israel or not? She says, come with me. That's a good thing. That shows that your destiny is to come and lead Eretz Israel because if it was just so easy, then I don't know if that was your destiny. If it's hard, that means that Hashem challenged you to do this and He wants you to struggle and He wants you to overcome that Nisayin not to. And that's the biggest proof that this is what you're supposed to do. And look what happened. She had the struggle. She made this decision that she was going to follow her destiny. And she ends up uh, getting married to the God Ladar. And she ends up having a child. And that child has another child. That child has another child. David HaMelech, the Nimzim Yisrael, the Melech of Kla Yisrael, the forebearer of Melech HaMashiach. Everything comes from that one act. When did it start? It didn't start when she got married at the end of the Megillah to, to the God Ladar. It started when what? When she made that fateful decision on that road in Stemayev to come with, to, with her mother-in-law to go back to Eretz Yisrael and to become Jewish. That was the decision. Was it an easy decision? It was the hardest decision of her life. It was a struggle. It was an emotz. But as a result of that struggle, of that Nisayan, to make the right decision... Look what happens. For all times, she is the Ima Shalmalchus, we call her. She's the mother of monarchy. She, all the Malachim of, of Kla Yisrael from Malchus based David comes from her. Shlema Melech and Melech Mashiach ultimately. All because we see the contrast in Megillus Rus between a good decision and a bad decision. The bad decision that started when they decided to go from Eretz Yisrael to Chutz Laretz, Elimelech, Machlin, and Kilian ended in their destruction. They all died. Then they ended up mad. Before they died, they married Gaiusha women and whatever, and it got worse and worse. But the decision began when? Says the Shmuel Brodney, at the start, when they left Eretz Israel. That's when they severed from Kedusha, and that fateful decision was what did them in at the end. And then we find the opposite, the contrast, the wonderful decision that. Rus made on that desert road going back to Eretz Yisrael because she made that decision with great struggle, with great challenge, without ease. Because of that, that's why she was zeichet to such tremendous things in the future. What we see from here, Rabbi Isai, is that when we're faced with challenges in life, when we're faced with decisions, we have to make the right decision. And it's not always the easiest thing to make the right decision. Sometimes it's really, really hard to make right decisions in life. But if we make the wrong decision, the consequences are very grave. Very, very grave. When we make the right decision, the consequences and the, 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 the benefits that will accrue to us, the dividends that will accrue to us, are tremendous. Things that we don't even understand today because they didn't even, it didn't even happen yet, but it's snowballing without even us realizing it. These are tremendous things when we make the right decision. I'll tell you a, a beautiful story. 
Um, I probably said it before, but I, I love it. Um, the story goes like this. There was a girl in Vienna, a young girl in Vienna, Austria, before the war, and a Jewish girl, she went to Beis Yaakov, and she had the most amazing voice. She had like a one in a million voice. I once went to a concert uh, when I was uh, dating my wife. We went to a concert. She was sitting in the women's section. I was sitting in the men's section. But um, I don't think we went together, actually. I think she went with her friends and I went with my friends. But it was an Avram Fried and Mordechai Ben David concert. And that was like a very big thing at the time. I don't think they had ever sung together. And, and they were the two superstars. Today, like, there's a lot of suits. And then it was like sort of just the two of them. And they were like, you know, both tremendous. Uh, and they were singing together in the same stage. Like all the bus stops in, uh, in Brooklyn had like a picture of them standing like very cool, like back to back and like, you know, very heavy marketing and everybody wanted to go to this concert. So Baruch Hashem, we both went to the concert. And we both remember this, it was a great line at this concert. So Avram Fried uh, comes out, he sings a couple of songs on his own and then he's introducing Mordechai Ben David to come on. Mordechai Ben David was really like the... He was before him, and he was, Marek Abedev was like far more famous than Avram Fried. Avram Fried was a young Bach when, when Marek Abedev was already like very big in, in the field already. So he said that, he says, Avram Fried says, Marek David has a voice that comes along once in a generation. But why did it have to be my generation? That was his line. Uh, so that's sort of what this girl, this girl had a voice that came along once in a generation, like a tremendous voice, and she had a, a certain star quality to her, and she knew how to dance, and she, of course, was the head of all the Beis Yaakov of Vienna's productions, and you know, whenever they had a skit or a musical or a dance, whatever it was, she was always the front and center star. And her reputation preceded her, not only in the Jewish community, but even some Gayim started hearing about this great talent, and there was a, a talent scout, a European non-Jewish woman who was a talent scout, and she went to one, she heard about this girl, she's always on the lookout for like new talent to perform in the, in the great opera houses in, in, in Vienna and beyond, and sing and dance, they always look for the next, you know, the next superstar. So she went to one of these productions, she saw this girl, and she approaches her after the concert and says, I've never seen such a celebrity as you. I never saw such talent and such, uh, you know, you have everything. You have the, the appearance and you have the, 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 the dance and the, and the voice and the persona and everything is amazing and I'm going to make you famous. Not just in these Jewish circles. I'm going to bring you and I'm going to make you a superstar. You're going to be the toast of Europe. And every venue in Berlin and in Moscow and in, uh, in London and in Paris, you're going to be it. Everyone's going to know your name. You're going to be world famous. Your name is going to be on the marquee in big letters and lights. And, you know, we'd like to think that every Beis Yaakov girl would right away say, no, nah, it's not interesting to me. This girl, it was very interesting too. She, she wanted... Not that she necessarily wanted to be misguided, but she, she felt this is, she has this talent and she wants to become famous and maybe she'll make a lot of money and she'll be able to give her, her family some support from that. It sounded like something that she really, really, really wanted to do. And she says, give me a, a week or two to, to think about it. And the, the agent gave her her business card and, uh, and they, they agreed to 
revisit it in a few weeks. She comes home, she tells her parents about it, and her parents obviously did not share her excitement. Her parents were very from people, and they, this was like a nightmare for them. They, they liked it when their daughter had talent and was using it in the local Beisiaka production, but this is ridiculous to go to the Kol Isha and to be out there and Kol Kudabas Panim. This is like the worst, that, you know, the worst situation that they could have envisioned. So they said, please, you know, this is not for you. Rethink this. This is not, we, we as your parents, they were smart enough to say, not to refuse it. They wanted to like make it like it was her decision. They took her to the local Rav, and the Rav tried to uh, dissuade her, but it was to no effect. And the Rav said, listen, I can't, obviously I'm not having an influence on you, but there's a great Hasidish Rebbe that's about to come into town this week. His name is the Kapishnitz Rebbe, and his son was one of the G'dayle Adari, he was very close to Aaron Cutler, and he was uh, you know, on the front, on the dais of G'dayle Yisrael after the war in America, but this Kapitans Rebbe's father uh, was a great leader in Europe, and he was a very big pikeach, and, and he was coming to Vienna to visit, says, let's go to him and see what he says. So she agreed, this girl agreed, and when the Kapitans Rebbe came to Vienna, uh, his, her parents brought her to him, and he heard her out. He didn't, like, say, you know, shake it, it's terrible, you know, cheirem. No, he said, I understand what you're saying, I get it. I understand the taiva that you have. You have a, a, a voice, you have a, you have a talent that you want to share with the world. I understand it. And I can't physically stop you, obviously, from doing your dream. But I will tell you this. This is a very big decision that you have to make. If you make the decision in the wrong way, then you know what the future is. I don't have to paint that for you. You know exactly what's going to happen. And if you make the right decision, then I will personally guarantee that you will have a son, you will get married to somebody, you will have a son, and this son will be a God al-Hadar, and will illuminate the world, whatever your, the lights that you would have had in a bad way, this person that you have as a son will illuminate the world, will be world famous, but in a positive way, in a terrible way. She thought about that, and now she heard what she liked to hear. It wasn't just you're taking something away from me, but you're giving me something in return. And that she was able to accept. And so she said, okay, I'm going to turn down this offer, but I expect that what you promised me is going to happen. Rebbe says, yeah, I give you my haftacha. Now this story was written down in a, uh, in a pinkus, in a journal, in a like a record book that every Kehillah in Europe always used to keep their own records and anything of interest, any uh, important events that happened in the community was recorded in, this, in these books. And this event was recorded in the book, but there was no, you know, the names of the people were there, but it never said, like, what happened? Like, what, you, know, what, you know, you want to hear the end of the story? Like, did it come true? Did the Rebbe's promise come true or not? So... A very big Rav saw this in recent years, and he went and he, um, he did some research into who these people were. And he figured out, based on a lot of the biographical information that he had to work with, that this woman got married, 
This girl grew up, she got married, and she had a child. The child went to one of the most famous yeshivas in the world, Rameir Shapiro's yeshiva, Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin. He was a Gain Eilam, Mamish, a brilliant, brilliant man. And he eventually moved to Bnei Brak after the war, and he became the Paisek Hadar. And his name is Shmuel Vosner. Shmuel Vosner was uh, the Shevet Levi. We have a whole bookshelf in Yeshiva downstairs, the Shevet Levi. It takes up, then came out a whole, whole it's much like, I don't know, 15 volumes of, of intricate Shailos Hutshubas on every topic known to Klai Yisrael. He was like the, the Paisik Hadar, him and Rebel Yashiv and Rishlam Zalman. They were all on the same, you know, seat, the, the same row of Dele Paisik Hadar. And that was the research. That's where his research took him. And this Rav went to Shmuel Vazner and asked him, this is how the story goes. Again, I, I don't know if this story is a thousand percent accurate, because I, you know, but this is the way I read it, this is the way it's told, that they asked Rav Shmuel Vazner, do you know the story? He says, no. He says, I don't know the story. He says, but I will tell you that I remember my mother did have a beautiful voice, and she had a certain charisma that was very unique. And also, I'll tell you something else that I remember, and that is that whenever I was like a little late to wake up for davening or to go to the base medrash in the morning or at night for night aid or whatever it was, my mother would like wake me up, like very, you know, with, with all of her ramachei bar mitzvahagidim. And she says, get up and go to yeshiva, go to base medrash. You have no idea what I gave up for you. And because of that decision that she made, she had the Galadar. Decisions are very, very important. And they're very, very consequential. And a lot of times we think, we have wiggle room with decisions. I can make a bad decision, and I'll be able, even if it's not so good today, but I'll make up for it tomorrow. And that's not a true statement. Like we're trying to prove today from Megillus Rus. The decisions that we make that are good are tremendous. We don't even understand how good they are and how important they are and will determine the future of us and our descendants for all times. And the bad decisions that we make in life are much worse than we can ever fathom also. There's a, an amazing medrash at the end of Sefer Kehelis. The medrash says, Smach Pasuk at the end of Kehela says, Rejoice, O youth, when you're young. Rejoice, O youth, when you're young. So the Medr says as follows, What causes you to choose? Meaning, the word bacher either means a young person. Why does a bacher mean a young person? Why are we called yeshiva bacherim? What's a bacher? Bachar is from Lashon of Bechira. The choices that you make when you're a Bachar affect you when you're old. When you're my age, when you're your grandparents' age, when you're great-great-grandparents' age, what you look like is going to be directly a consequence of the decisions that you make when you're a Bachar. That's why you're called a Bachar. A Bachar means choices. When you make good choices... 
The sky's the limit. You could be anything that you want. You, your children, your family, everything is totally on the choices that you make today. When you make bad choices, same exact thing. It'll be the horrible consequences that will come, not then, but now. Whatever choice you're making now is the responsibility. This is something that I feel in our yeshiva, this is possibly the most important concept to relay to you. Because these are, if I was giving this to a seventh grade class, what are they deciding on? I mean, there are decisions to be made, you know, which high school to go to is very important. It's important to go to know which, what you're going to do after high school. It's also very important. I always say that the eighth grade rabbi and twelfth grade rabbi are, are the two most important positions in, in, in Chinuch because they're the ones that are sort of helping guide Talmidim and they're in there to make the right choice to jump to the right high school, to jump to the right place in Eretz Yisrael or in America or whatever, but to, to steer a bacher into, through those years are very important. But I think Al-Kulam, the most important years of a, of a person's life are these years, from, let's say, 1819 to 21, 22, the college years, the base medrash years, the years that everything is on the line, every major decision that you're making, and of course sometimes takes a little bit longer to make decisions, so we could extend those years a few, uh, by a few, but every decision that is of major consequence that will affect how you are in your old age are being made right now in these years. Think about it. You're making a decision about what major to choose. You're thinking about whether to go for smicha or not go for smicha. You're gonna, you know, what you're going to be doing over the course of this summer. What you're going to be doing, you know, what career choices to make, internships that you're going to be getting, and you're deciding based on what. Like, who are you? Who are who's influencing you to make these decisions? It has to be made with a certain degree of somebody that is seasoned, that has seen a little bit of life, that knows the good and the bad that could come up potentially with, with different choices of career that you're making. If you're, if you're choosing a career because of, let's say, money, that's okay, it's important to have money in life, but at what cost? Are you going to be a, a person that's going to work from 6 o'clock in the morning till, uh, till 3 o'clock the next morning and to make the money and, and to not have a family life, to not be able to spend time with your wife, with your children, and to be completely an eved to, to the money? Is that what you want? Maybe today it sounds good because you want to make money and you need to make money. But is that really something that, in long-term perspective, is that something good for you or not? You're making decisions today that's going to influence you when you're 30 years old, 40 years old, 70 years old. All that's being made today. You're making a decision about if you're starting to date or if you're already starting to date, you know, what type of girl am I going to marry? Now, a bacher, there's a lot of choices out there in terms of what type of girl you're marrying. Sometimes, you know, you're going to go for a girl that's, uh, that's very pretty. That's what's, you know, luring you to get married to a certain person. Okay, it's important to be attracted to your wife, but is, if that's the only criteria that you're looking for, it's all look, so then when she, but you know, she doesn't have me this type of, she doesn't have a personality, she doesn't have your Shemayim. So, you know, you're going to, when, when she gets a little bit older, you know, she's not so pretty anymore, now you're stuck without anything. 
So, but as a bacher, you don't necessarily see that. You just want to marry, you know, a girl that you're attracted to. So you need a rebbe, or you need somebody other than your roommates giving you eitzes and hadracha about what to do, because you have to make the right decision to marry a girl, even if she's not the prettiest girl, but she has your shemayim, and she has the right hashkafas, and she has a va- the value system that you're looking for, and she's a good person, she's a happy person, all the things that you need, even if it's not something that's... Not, but you need somebody to help you make these decisions. If you're not you're going to make the wrong decisions. That will have terrible consequences. And there's many, many other decisions that are being made as we speak about everything that we're doing for the course of our life today. And we're going to be obligating ourselves now for whatever happens later. The, the, the bacher in us, the bechira that we have, is all now. Just, we're speaking, we're going into a summer. We're going into a summer and the summer is a time that's very dangerous. Unfortunately, we have a very long summer break. A lot of yeshivas, they end Tisha B'Av or Shabbat Shabbat so you have a you know, small amount of time to get into trouble. But at least it's only, you know, it's a couple of weeks, and then you're back in yeshiva. What can happen? Here, we're, right, we're, I think finals are starting already Monday, right? Final study thing. So you have our, so it's, it's not even June, right? We're not even in June yet. So we're going to be away from Yeshiva for June, July, and August, right? So it's about three months, a quarter of the year, we're going to be out of Yeshiva, out of the, out of the insular, beautiful Avirav Yeshiva. Do you know what could happen to us in one minute, let alone in three months in the summer? And yet we go to, you know, to, to co-ed college, you know, secular colleges because it's an easy pass-fail or whatever. And, you know, and, and we make decisions. With whom? Who, who made these decisions with us? Did anyone help you decide to make these decisions? Do you understand the... Con- I'll tell you one story. And I, you know, I, I don't like saying this story because it's a nightmare of a story. But I'll tell it anyway. And maybe it's a little, I should have told the story maybe a couple of months ago before, when you were making your summer plans. We had a Talmud Yeshiva the first years that I was here, going back over 20 years. He was mamish, the nicest, sweetest, finest bacher ever. He was, he was so, such a fine ben taira. You take, think to yourself, like, who's the, the sweetest guy in yeshiva, and who's the biggest masman in yeshiva, and, who's the, and who has the best midas, and who's the, who's the most polite, and who's, the, and who's the most gishmak, and you put them all in one person, that was this guy. And he would come to everything. Everything, I, would, I used to give a chaburi after davening in Musr, and then he would come to that. He would be the first one there, eager, with his marked-up uh, Musr Sefer, writing on the margins every single thing that I wrote, everything that I said. You know, he came to every Vad, came to Shmuz, he came every Shabbos, came every Yantav, he came every Shirkali, he came every Davening. He didn't miss anything, not a thing, not a thing. And what happened was that he had to do something in the summer. His parents wanted him to take a certain internship. He was, a, I think he was a business major. He had to take an internship on, on Wall Street. And so he hooked up with a group of guys that were also on Wall Street. And he, he lived in Manhattan in the summer. Anyway, I didn't hear from him, you know, from, let's say, the end of this man. And then I was waiting for him to come back. El, it's El. You know, I'm waiting for him to come to davening. Be'inanu waiting for him to come after davening for the Chabura, Ve'inenu. 
It's not here. So I say to his friend, like, where, where, is, where is Pliny? He says, you don't want to know, Rebbe. I said, what do you, what do you mean? You don't, I don't. He says, he got into a bad chevra, and he grew his hair really long. He's not Shemr Shabbos anymore. I said, what? He's, he's what? I'm telling you, if you pick, take the best guy in this room and imagine this guy, like in three months from now, not being Shemr Shabbos. Kaviyachal, right? It's hard to imagine. This is Mamish what happened. Because he'd made a wrong decision, and then I bumped, I tried calling him, he wouldn't answer my calls. I was, I don't know if there was texting back then, but I was emailing him, he wasn't answering my, you know, just Hadam, like he didn't have any, he was totally stonewalling me. I bumped into him at a chasno, he had a friend that got married, I remember exactly which chasno all it was, and I saw him, he had like hair down to, to here by then, and I said to him, you know, plainly, like, what's, what, you know, you know, what happened? He says, Rebbe, he says, that's the way I am. He says, I'm either all in or I'm all out. When I was in, I was in Gansan. I was in totally. So when I'm out, he says, you have to let me be. You can't, can't chase me. I can't, I can't. And I, I think to the best of my knowledge, he still is not married. He's still not from, he's not from one summer. This wasn't from like a, you know, when did that happen? It, it was a decision like Machlin and Killian. What do I do? The decision, it wasn't when he was Mechal Shabbat. It wasn't when he decided to, it was when he made the decision that in the summer I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and take that particular job on Wall Street. The decisions that we make are so critical. Don't be so, you know, smug and thinking that I could do it and I could get away with it. I'll be able to make even some wrong decision. I'll recoup and if I'm wrong, I'll still, not so pushed. That was back then when things were generally much tamer. Today, the world is a thousand, a million times worse than it was 20 years ago. It was a, little, a different world. We thought it was terrible back then. That was, that was nirvana compared to what it is today. Today, it's like whatever, you know, anything that's out in the workforce is like ridiculously crazy. But this is what it, one summer could bring. And the decisions that we're making now are so pivotal. And where do you get these decisions? Where do you get these hashkafas from? You get it from being in yeshiva. If you're coming to the shmuz, and Baruch Hashem, I'm so proud of everybody here. I know it's, it's you know, really, it's the end of the zman. It's, uh, I'm sure everybody could have gone away today and could have gone away for Shabbos. And, you know, and yet you're here. I'm very, very proud of you. When I'm venting, I sometimes, maybe you think I'm bending at you. I'm, I'm very proud of you. I'm just, I have no one else to talk to about it, so I'm talking to you guys. But I'm, I'm upset that, like, the room should be packed because these are things that everybody in yeshiva needs to know. So as, as important as it was to go home last night because, you know, you had a ride or whatever, isn't it more important to be here today? Isn't it more important to be in an Aviravi yeshiva every Shabbos that we have that... You know, that we're filling up our batteries with Kedusha, with Taurus, and we go out into the quote-unquote real world, we'll be able to, to resist all the temptations out there, hopefully. But this is what Rus teaches us, and this is what Shavuos is all about. It's deciding to do the right thing. Very simple. Making every decision that we have with Ruchnias in mind, with, with Hashkafas Hatayra in mind. When we do that, then we will be those B'nai Torah when, when you're much, much older, 
that you'll be able to look back and say, wow, it's because I was in Lander College at that time in my life that I made the right decisions, I married the right girl, I chose the right career, I did the right things in the summer, I was able to expose myself to the right things and avoid the wrong things, and because of that, I am who I am. And we have hundreds of Talmidim around the world at various ages, anywhere from 40, and I still keep in touch with many of them, till, you know, till the more recent, that say it's because of the Shmuzen, and it's because of the Vaden, and it's because of the Ashkafas that I got in Yeshiva, and the Avir at that pivotal time in my life that enabled me to marry this girl, and to have the, these children, and to send the, these children to the right Yeshivas, and to be able to build a beautiful home, and to be able to have a career that makes sense, and that I'm making enough money to live nicely on, but maybe I'm not the richest guy, but I'm able to, to, you know, to learn and make starim. All these things come from being in Yeshiva. That's a formula that we know works. The formula that doesn't work is thinking that you're in yeshiva, but you know, not being in yeshiva for anything that really matters. And so you're taking college. There are, other, there are better colleges out there. If you came here for college, I got, a, I got news for you. you know, there, there are easier colleges out there. There are better colleges out there. And there are, there are quicker colleges. There are slower colleges. There are more fun colleges. Like, why'd you come here? I hope that you came here, and I know that you came here, if you're in this room, to get everything else Besides for the college is great, and we have a great college, but that's not why you're here. You're here in order to be B'nai Taira and to make the right decisions with, with Rabbeim and with Mashkiach and with Shalomeshes and Kaila guys that care about you, that love you, that want to that wanna make sure that you're successful in the future. And so the decision, never say that this is just a small decision. There's no such thing as a small decision. Every decision, whether it's to stay in Yeshua for Shabbos or not, whether it's to take a certain job in the summer or not, whether it's to you know, go on a certain vacation or not, whether it's to buy a certain type of, uh, you know, of technology or not, every decision that we make is not a small decision. It's a major decision. And it has consequences beyond our, our ability to conceive what will come from these decisions. So every decision, treat like it's a, like a, like it's a best in our decision. Treat like it's like a mamish needs dine nefashis type of, uh, of, of scrutiny to make sure that we're doing the right thing and that we're, we're following the right derech. And Amir Tzashem, when we, fa- when we do the right decisions, when we make the right decisions, our life will Amir Tzashem be blessed with all of the brachas that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has in store for us. And, and Rahman al-Islam, the opposite is true as well. So, Mirza Hashem, we should understand this, and going forward, we should have a wonderful Shavuos, we should be Zeche, to Makabal, the Torah Ba'ava, not just the Torah, but the, the Hadrachas HaTorah, the Midas of the Torah, and the decisions that the Torah would advise us to make. Have a wonderful Shabbos.